All right. Well, hey, welcome. Merry Christmas, Emmaus. It's good to be with you. Uh, what a year we have had, right? Year, year two of we don't know how many in a pandemic. Uh, a year as a church where we've gone through significant change, uh, name change for sure, but also adoption, merge, all the things. Uh, and we've also seen God show up, right? We've seen him show up to heal, to bring new life, to move the mission forward, and all of that through you, through the body of Christ, doing what the body of Christ does, filled by the Spirit. And uh, it is an honor to get to be one of your pastors and be with you here this evening as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. It is that idea of God showing up that we want to look at tonight, that God has, in fact, shown up in person through Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been waiting for some, I'm sure you've been waiting for someone, perhaps for dinner, for lunch, for some meal. You're waiting for someone to show up and they're late. And there are some people that the later they are, the more it reinforces the question in the back of your mind, like, why am I spending time with this person to begin with? I have other things to do. Uh, or there's other people where it just doesn't matter. No matter how many minutes go by, you're just so overjoyed when they show up. You're just happy to be with them. We have to remember that Christmas is the celebration of the arrival, a long-awaited arrival of God among his people, that in fact, Israel had waited for a very, very long time for God to come as king and set the world right. And they had been waiting for what the prophets had promised for centuries. Some had gotten really comfortable, figured out how to make friends with the Roman rulers who oppressed them, living life under Caesar in a pragmatic way. Others had grabbed power uh, for themselves, made themselves rich and comfortable without any bother to what God might or might not want. And then there were others, others who waited for the long-awaited consolation of Israel, like Simeon and Anna, who rejoiced at the baby Jesus when he came to the temple, and Mary. Mary, she's the one we just read about. The kids read to us about this, this young woman named Mary. And as we culminate uh, Advent season reflecting on the mothers of Jesus, the four named women in Matthew's genealogy, these women who uh, were the vehicles through whom God showed up. And now Mary culminates that story, and she shows us how to receive the God who arrives. Um, as we just heard the kids read this story, it's formally called the Annunciation, that is the announcement of Jesus, his birth. And what we see in Mary really teaches us how to meet with God, how to receive the God who shows up. That's what Christmas is. It is receptivity to the God who has come in human form through Jesus. And so Mary, she doesn't get a lot of play, perhaps, in Protestant churches, uh, and she deserves probably a little bit more airtime. She's the first one to respond in faith to the name of Jesus. Uh, she might get missed oftentimes in our tradition because of its, her distortion, perhaps, in other traditions, but the reality is she is wildly important to the story of God. And so I don't want us to miss the significance of this Palestinian teenager who gives a witness to what it's like to receive God. 
by all accounts, she was somewhere between 13 and 14 years old. How many of you are between 13 and 14 years old in this room? We have, yeah, can you imagine being in this story? It's a pretty crazy moment. This was, of course, when first century Jewish girls started families. And so she's this young teenage girl. She would have been called by her friends and family, Miriam. So Mary's how it comes out in English. But Miriam is a name that reminds us of Moses' sister, all the way back in Exodus. Her name reminds us, of course, of that great woman of faith who also uh, aided God's deliverance of his people. Remember, she helped spare her brother Moses, who would deliver the people of Israel. And now here, Mary, the the greater Miriam, helps bring us the greater Moses, who's going to set the people free from the most destructive forces on earth, sin and death. So do we learn from Mary's story? How do we learn to play our part in God's story by looking at her? Three things this morning I want us to see. The way that Mary, or morning, gosh, it's a bad verbal habit. Every time I'm in this room, it's morning, apparently. Sorry. This evening, this Christmas evening, three things I want to show us. First of all, how to discern the presence of God. How to sing passion for God and his justice and a posture that's receptive to God. So the first thing we see is this heavenly messenger, Gabriel, shows up and he says, you're going to have a baby, right? Uh, That's a big deal, but not just any baby. He greets her and he says, oh, greetings, oh, favored one, literally, oh, graced one. The Lord is with you. I think sometimes we struggle to know, is God with us at all? Is he with us? Uh, Is his presence even around? Life beats us up. Life makes us feel oftentimes alone and troubled. And perhaps it's quite easy to think God's nowhere near completely unconcerned. We're tempted to think maybe if I did more, if I performed better, if I hadn't messed up so much, which of course is Santa Claus theology. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. But that's not what the scriptures teach. God's not the one who's checking the list twice, but he only relates to us through grace, not through our earning, but through his giving. And so he comes and announces his presence by grace. Greetings, O favored one. True presence of God is always the presence of grace. He comes and he says, you didn't do anything. My favor's free. It's unearned. The shining bright smile of God comes to you without you having earned it at all. And her response is that she's troubled. Of course you'd be troubled. There's a bright angel person in your living room telling you you're going to have a kid. And you're 13 and you're not married. And there's, there's some things to be troubled about, of course. But of course, grace is always troubling. It goes against our presumptions about how the world works. It's a staggering confrontation to the way we try to climb the ladder to be worthy. Grace confounds the religious person and the irreligious person just as much. The religious person's always building a resume. Am I good enough? Have I performed enough? The irreligious person's always building a resume too. What makes me really worthy? Grace says to both the religious and the irreligious that freeloaders are the only ones welcome in God's presence. The ones who will come and say, I have earned nothing, but I come on your grace. And so how do we discern the presence of God at Christmas? We listen, of course, for the word of grace. So much in our world tears itself apart, judging uh, each other over disagreements. But God says, I'm here in the quiet space of grace. Will you discern it? 
where earning is silenced before the grace of God. So the message the angel proclaims says, don't be afraid. This is, of course, how we receive grace. We're not afraid of God because he says, I have come in grace towards you. Grace appears humble there in a manger, quietly entering the world without any self-importance. And so we listen for the, word, uh, for the presence of God and the word of grace, and that's where he is. We read in the story, Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and, there will, and you'll bear a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him a throne, of his, the fo- throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and have, his kingdom will have no end. See, when we meet God in his grace, he comes with a kingdom, a, a, a way of ruling the world. And so Mary teaches us to sing passionately for God's kingdom and God's justice. A kingdom is, you know, it's an administration. When you get a new teacher in your classroom, things in the classroom run differently. When you get a new boss at work, there's a new administration for how things are going to go. And when a new king comes into the world, he says, here's the new pattern I want you to follow. It's not the pattern of Caesar. It's not the pattern of the bully. It's the pattern of Jesus. And so Mary, being a good first century Jew, has spent her whole life under the oppressive bully uh, presence of the Roman rulers, and she's understood her people's story. And she sings this great song of liberation. She sings this song in Luke chapter 1 called the Magnificat, which comes from the Latin that basically just means magnify. Here's what she sings. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And he goes on, or she goes on, she sings this, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and his holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. What has God done? Well, he's shown the strength of his arm. Well, that goes all the way back to the Exodus. God says, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to show Pharaoh who's boss. I'm going to deliver my people out of bondage and slavery. And so she says this, he, God, has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he's brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he's exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he's sent away empty. And he's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. What in the world's Mary singing about? Well, Mary is singing about God scattering the proud and lifting up the humble, feeding the hungry and sending away the rich. Mary has a passion for the justice of God's kingdom, God's way of setting the whole world right. Jesus is not just a lowly servant who comes to us with a word of grace, but he comes to rule and bring God's justice, to heal the sick, feed the poor, and transform the world into a community that does justice. He brings an upside-down kingdom to the world's values. And that passion of Mary erupts into this song, looking for the kingdom of God and the, kingdom's, the king's justice. But that longing for justice was answered very paradoxically. It wasn't answered like you would think. It didn't come with revenge. No, you see, Mary is going to watch her son Jesus grow up and have this ministry that won't make sense to her. There will be these episodes that we get in the Gospels where Mary will say, hey, Jesus, will you pipe down? Stop saying so many crazy things. Would you just come home now? Come home with your siblings? 
you know, Mary doesn't understand it at first. And she'll ask him to knock it all off, but then ultimately he'll be lifted up on a cross. The paradox of God's justice is this, that the judge himself has come to be judged at the place of the wicked so that we can live. And it's in that moment that Mary will see her longing for justice come to fruition. And it's in that moment Jesus is going to say something to his mom. He's going to say this. He's going to, uh, this is in John's gospel where he looks at her and he says, Woman, behold your son. And he's pointing to John. Well, he's not pointing anywhere. He's stuck. But he means himself and he means John. And John, he'll say, behold your mother. His, his friend, his disciple, this guy who's also at the cross. What's Jesus doing? He's saying, Because of what I'm doing here, because of my bearing the sin of the world, you're now family. Anything that would alienate you is is dealt with in my death. And now you're family. And you're going to become a community that takes care of each other. And so he's taking care of his mom, making sure she'll be taken care of by John, but he's also showing the new family. John and Mary are family in a new way. Uh, The reality is, His death brings people together. His death reconciles old offenses. And now Mary will stay with that family and will read the story of the Bible. And later on, she'll be in that upper room praying when the Holy Spirit of God comes at Pentecost. And then that little growing community of Jesus' disciples will later be described as this. It says this in Acts chapter four, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said anything, or no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord. That longing for justice, that, that picture of God filling the hungry, that picture of God bringing down the uh, arrogant and lifting up the humble. It's come to be in this community of Jesus' disciples, the church. The poor have been lifted up, the proud humbled, because through the life and death of Jesus, a new family's formed, and they share their stuff, and they're full of generosity, and they actually live out God's justice, his kingdom, in front of a watching world, talking about his grace that's made them a new family. And his followers share their stuff in a way that demonstrates God's generosity to the world. The proud are humbled because the king is really the crucified king. The poor and the hungry are fed because the king has a people who share what's theirs. That longing, that passion for God's justice has come to be through this community called the church. That passion for God and his justice in the world is a Christmas passion ultimately. And we encounter the Christmas presence by the word of grace, and we join in the Christmas passion by working for the kingdom of God and the justice of God in the world. And last of all, we see in Mary this last thing, a posture appropriate to receiving the king, to receiving God's presence. What is that posture? How do we enter this story of God like Mary did, following her example? Well, notice what she says to the angel. He says, you're going to have this child. You're favored, right? She says, how is this going to be? The Holy Spirit, that's always the answer. How in the world can we be saved? The Holy Spirit will make you alive. How can we be forgiven? The Spirit of God will confer on you the forgiveness of the Son. The Spirit comes into our life 
and generates the life of the Messiah. And she says, let it be to me. She says, behold, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. That's the posture that receives God. Servanthood and surrender, those two things. It's not a popular path. Those aren't popular words to be a servant, to be surrendered. We want to be independent. We want to be in charge of our destiny, to call the shots and not have anyone else tell us what to do. But Mary, the one who's called blessed by all generations, she jumps up and she says, I'm the Lord's servant. What an honor to be considered someone the Lord would use. What an honor. Let me let your word rule in my life. Do we wake up in the morning and say, I'm, I'm the servant of the Lord. I know what's on my agenda today. Mary shows us the posture for receiving the king who brings justice. All the injustice in the world comes when we say, I want to be king and I want you to be my servant. I want you to do what I wanted you to do. But the justice of God, the kingdom of God shows up when we say, I'm the Lord's servant. I want to do what he wants me to do. How does a servant live? Surrendered to the word of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I think, I don't know where Paul McCartney was at when he was writing that Let It Be song, but there's a lot of footage on Disney Plus about it right now. But I will tell you, hours of it, actually. But what, that song always reminds me of this moment. Let it be to me according to your word. Think about this this Christmas. What goodness, what glory might be unleashed through us this next year if this was the posture we embrace? Rather than grasping for control, what if we heard the word of the Lord and said, I'm your servant. Let it be to me as you've said. What might change for us this year? Would anything change for you? Would you feel any different knowing that according to God's word, you're infinitely accepted and loved. Would that change anything for you? Because that's what his word says. Not because of your performance. Remember, God's presence comes as the word of grace. Uh, that you don't have to be a success <laughs> to everyone else's estimation this next year to be loved and worthy. You can't be good enough. You can't be too bad to be loved by God. What if you said, let it be to me according to your word? That you can only find his presence in his grace. Would that change anything for you? What if we enter the new year having shared Mary's passion for justice as a part of the king's community? What if we thought this next year, not uh, how can I get further ahead, but how can I be more open-handed to God and his people and his kingdom purpose? Would that change anything for you? If you said, I'm passionate not about my own story, but about the kingdom story in this world, a story of justice embodied not primarily in some system out there, but through relationships with the spirit of God's at work right here. And lastly, what if we embrace that posture of servanthood and surrender that receives the king and does what he says? That's, the reality is that's a Christmas way of being receptive to God's presence. The king has come in humility at Christmas and he'll come again in glory. But as we embrace him, we don't embrace him as one of our peers. We don't embrace him as if we're his auditor. We embrace him as servants and say, let it be to me according to your word. And if we enter this season this way in the way of Mary, this next year will be very different for us. It will be transforming for us.
And so what we'll do tonight as we celebrate this Christmas story, as we listen to Mary's example, discerning the presence of God through the word of grace, singing passionately, working passionately for God's justice and coming kingdom in the world, and in a posture that says, let it be to me according to your word, we'll sing and celebrate the arrival of God in the flesh. And as we do, we'll take a moment towards the end here and we'll light candles in the room as a way of saying, God, we long as Emmaus to be your light in the world. And as we surrender to you, God, would you help us to be a bright light in your world that shows your kindness, your grace, and your justice? And so as we sing and light candles let it just be a, a very sensory way of calling us all to this kingdom vision to be receptive to the light of the world and then be transformed into a reflection of his light. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful this Christmas and a year that has been so strange, so full of challenges and changes. that your steadfast love is the same always and that ultimately you have come to visit us full of grace with a, with an, a, a, a calling to be your kingdom people, to be a, a people who are esteemed by you to be your servants and who are marked by your word. Thank you for Jesus. May we be receptive as Mary was receptive this Christmas and into this next year, Lord. Would you continue your good work among us in Christ's name.